let there be light. And there was light. Thank you. For our study in God's word this morning, I want us to return to Paul's second letter to the Christians in Thessalonica, the church in Thessalonica, 2 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, as we continue to consider this question. Is this the beginning of the end? When a complete study of the signs of the times, meaning all the prophecies that the Lord himself has given us right here in his word, related to his final acts and plans and purposes being fulfilled, and that includes the international nations that will play a vital part in all of that, and includes, of course, Israel, and it includes the incredible darkness and depravity that we're beginning to see overtake not only here in America, but around the earth. When you compare what we see happening, what we know is happening, because it's in our face really every single day, compared to uh, the signs of the time that the Lord has given to us, it appears that all the pieces of the puzzle for the first time in history are coming together. So this is an incredible question. It's an important question. Is this the beginning of the end? Or maybe we need to word it this way. Are we approaching the beginning of the end? And what makes it so important for us as we study God's word is because if this is true, if we are approaching the beginning of the end, then the same pressures and the same persecution and the same personal attacks that they were experiencing in the early church, we're going to experience as we take our stand as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, in writing this letter, was giving them instruction. How do you handle this affliction, which is the word that is used, which means troubles, talking about the pressures and the persecution and the personal attacks they were having as believers. And so he begins to give them these words of instructions. And the first word of instruction, as we looked at last week in chapter one, was that you need not to be disturbed. You need not be disturbed. In other words, Kim, and he just put in our terminology today, here's what he was telling him, look, God's got this. And if he's got this, he's got you. Now, in that message, he's not telling them they're not going to have any more pressures, they're not going to have any more persecution, and they're not going to have to worry about any more personal attacks. No, he was just saying, you need to understand, you've got to live as a follower of Christ by looking at the big picture, and the big picture is involves who is coming and why he's coming. And the who is coming is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming again. This is not fiction. This is fact. But what we need to understand is not only that he is coming, no question about that, but why is he coming, the second coming? What is that all about? He's not coming as the lamb of God for redemption. He has already done that. This time he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and is for judgment and justice. Let me just remind you once again what he says in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, for after all, he's writing to them, it is only just for God to repay with affliction 
those who afflict you. And so he's coming again, and the reason he's coming is for judgment and for justice. It's all going to accumulate on that, on that day called the great white throne judgment and where all will be gathered together. And those who had rejected Christ, listen, just to remind you, those who reject Christ and reject this incredible free pardon, incredible free pardon that we can have in Christ uh, over the guilt of all our sin, he's going to give them a fair trial. But that fair trial involves this, just to remind you, that every thought you've ever had, every word you've ever spoken, every attitude you've had in your heart, every action you've taken, every activity you have been uh, involved in is going to be laid bare before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not want to be part of the fair trial. Oh, my friend. Except, if you have not accept, accept the free pardon that you can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says there's no need to be disturbed. But then as we get into chapter 2, which is really our focus for today, he gives a second word of instruction. Not only you need not be disturbed, but you must not be deceived. So let's look at this together, beginning in chapter 2. Draw your attention to three things. First of all, the request. And it begins in verse 1. And Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now, in that one verse, he's not talking about the second coming. He's talking about what we call the rapture of the church. Not the literal return of Christ here, but the rapture of the church, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives more detail to that really in his first letter. So if you're following along with me in your Bible or you're watching it up on the screen, it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 15 just to remind you of that day. This is not again the return of the Lord as we think of it. It is the rapture of the church. And it says in verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Glorious event where the bride of Christ is taken out of this world as we move into the beginning of the end. But then he says this, going back to our text. That, that verse does not complete the sentence. He goes on to say that, verse 2, you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it was from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. It appears that there were false teachers 
writing their own letters, circulating those letters, but attributing it to the Apostle Paul. And they were not presenting truth. That's why we call them false teachers. And they were really declaring, and, and, and those in Thessalonica had received one or more of these letters, and it was just saying, hey, the day of the Lord has come. Now, that's incredibly important. Because when we talk about the day of the Lord, sometimes in the prophecy of Isaiah, it's just called the day. <laughs> it's so significant, it's called the day. It's coming. But here the phrase, the day of the Lord, it's, it's not referring to the rapture. It's referring to that return of Christ, what we were just talking about, uh, eventualizing into uh, judgment and justice, that great white throne judgment. Now, if my understanding is correct, and my study helps me to understand if my convictions are, are correct, all of that is going to begin right after the rapture. There'll be the seven years of tribulation, the last three and a half years called great tribulation. There's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the reign of Christ for a thousand years. And then it all comes down to that day, the great white throne judgment. Now, if my understanding is correct, and they had the same understanding I'm having, to get the word that the day of the Lord had come meant they had been left behind. They had missed the rapture, and they had been left behind. That would give reason for them uh, to be shaken, as it says, of their composure and greatly disturbed because somehow or another they had missed this incredible event and had been left behind. So he seeks to correct all this, and this is the word we need to have for today as well. So he says in verse 3, he says, let no one in any way deceive you. We need not be disturbed. We must not be deceived. He says, let no one in any way deceive you for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction or the son of perdition. Now, he mentions two things here, and they're, they're directly related to one another, but I want to separate them out. He says, here's what you're looking for. You know, the Lord Jesus tells us that our eternal God and Father is the only one who knows the day and the time of the coming. But he also told the disciples, here are the signs of the times, so you can be aware of what is happening around you. You can be aware of what God is doing among you. So he says, first of all, he says there's going to be a great falling away. That's what the word apostasy means. A great falling away. It's, it's, it's being separated out. It's being divided out. There's, a, there's great fall. It is a denouncing of one thing to embrace another thing. Well, I got to thinking about that. And I thought about how this actually, this act of falling away 
happens in different ways. For instance, there is what I call scriptural apostasy. Scriptural apostasy. Listen to me carefully here. Look with me in Jude. That's the book right before Revelation. If you follow me in Scripture, if you follow on the screen, it'll be up there. But in Jude, this simple letter written by the half-brother of Jesus says this in verse 3. Listen carefully. He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly, watch this carefully, that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. He doesn't say simply contend for faith. He says the faith, using a definite article here. So what is he talking about? Well, ultimately, he's talking about this word right here. And what he is saying, you are to contend earnestly. That means you fight with everything you've got. You fight with every fiber within you. It's kind of like, you know, when they do the Olympics or they, uh, they do other types of uh, sports events and they show it in slow motion. And you're seeing this athlete running, for instance, towards the end of the goal uh, uh, to the line there, and they're showing it in slow motion. And so you begin to see every fiber, every muscle as he or she is moving and trying to win that race. He says, that's what I'm talking talking about. That's how I want you to contend for this word. What is he talking about? He says it's been given once and for all. You can't add to it. And brothers and sisters, you better not take away from it. That this is the infallible, inerrant, inspired by God, authoritative word to man. And when he says to contend earnestly for the faith, the message, he says that you don't move away from this one smidget. Not just, not one smidget. You, you obey it, you seek to understand it, you grow in the knowledge of it, and you live your life by the moment, listen, the moment you take one step away in any area of the truth that is given to us, you have just opened the door for Satan to step in and begin to deceive. You must not be deceived. But there are many at our churches today, church-going people, good people that are beginning to take that step away and when they begin to make that, take that step away, then deception comes in, and then they begin to look at different things differently than the way the Word of God looks at it. And so all you're doing when you open up that door is move into Satan's dance hall. And he loves it when we start moving away from the infallible, inerrant, inspired, authoritative word. There is scriptural apostasy falling away. But there's also spiritual apostasy. And really, there's a sense in which spiritual apostasy is the result of scriptural apostasy. Look with me in Paul's letter to 2 Timothy, just right to the right of 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me begin reading in verse 1. And tell me when I read this, if, we're, if I'm not really just describing for you the culture 
and large of the United States of America. What we see today, listen to this. But realize this, he writes, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Watch this, third, this fifth verse here, holding to a form of godliness. In other words, trying to kind of clothe themselves with the veneer of religion of some nature, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. And so you see, scriptural apostasy in the body of Christ and in the lives of believers opens the door in our culture, in our community, in our country for exactly, exactly what we see happening right here, what he describes. If you watch the news, and it can be very discouraging, so I understand that if you don't. But if you keep up with everything that is going on, even, you know, in our day and time, even right now in the last couple of days, people just uh, using the Lord's name in vain, raising their fists before Almighty God, because someone spoke up against their depravity. Someone took a stand and said, no, you, you don't have the freedom to, to fulfill that depravity in your life, whatever it may be. That is the result of spiritual apostasy, just falling away from the truth, from the faith. Well, there's a third, and I think this may be the most focus here in the verse that we're looking at. It's not just scriptural apostasy and spiritual apostasy, but what I call sacrilegious apostasy. I noticed that I was looking in verse 3. That it wasn't just apostasy, but used a definite article here, the apostasy, which gives me reason to believe he's talking about a very specific act a sacrilegious apostasy, and he connects it with the second thing, not just a great falling away, but he connects this with a grievous false Christ. For he says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. You know who he's talking about. He's talking about the Antichrist. The man of lawlessness, some of your translations has the man of sin, not just the son of destruction, the son of perdition. He's called the beast. He's called the evil one. He's called the wicked one. 
In fact, if you just if you just jump down to verses nine in the very first part of verse ten, it describes him even more. He says in verse nine, that is the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. And he says here that he is going to do something. It's given to us in verse 4, which I think relates to this apostasy, this specific apostasy, sacrilegious apostasy. He says in verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God and displays himself as being God. You know, um, the word anti, talk about the antichrist. The word anti uh, has two shades of meaning. Uh, first of all, it means against. So this one that is coming, this this man of lawlessness, this man of sin. By the way, the thought occurred to me when I, every time I think of that phrase, man of sin, of how the, how the history of man has, uh, has been. It started in the Garden of Eden as the sin of man. We're coming to the end of time that he's talking about, and now it's the man of sin. When he comes, he's coming against Christ. He is coming against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is going to declare that Christ was the false Savior. He wasn't the true Christ. He's not the true Son of God. He's going to declare himself as the true Christ, which is the other meaning, which means instead of, anti-against, anti-instead of. You need to reject Christ, the Son of the living God, as we know him, the Lord Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, you need to receive me. And he walks into the temple of God and he declares, I am the true Christ. I am the true God. You worship me and nothing else and no one else. That is the ultimate apostasy. Sacrilegious. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 25 and in verse 24. He just makes reference to it in relation to the prophecy of Daniel. Scripture says that Jesus was sharing some of the signs of the times with the disciples. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through, the, uh, through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. In other words, this, this, this is the ultimate sign for you. When you see this man of sin, Daniel talks about it in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And he talks about the covenant this man, this antichrist, will make actually with Israel for seven years, three and a half years into it, after he has convinced the world that he is the true prince, he's the true savior of the world, he steps into the temple to declare that he is Christ. He is God, revealing the truth. That he's truly, in a very real sense, a devilish of a man, led by Satan, 
and his kingdom of darkness. A grievous false Christ. But notice what he goes on to say. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, what he says next is incredibly important. All of it is. But this directly relates to us, and I'm going to share with you why. Beginning in verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And then in verse 6, he says, And you know what restrains, restrains him now. In other words, you know why this Antichrist cannot come forward now. He says something is restraining. Actually, he's going to use a personal pronoun in a moment, so we know he's talking about someone is restraining him. In fact, he goes on to say, verse 6, you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. Not beforehand, not after, after him, because what? God's got this. God's got this. No matter what you see, what, no matter what fear you may be experiencing, when you look at what is happening and maybe you think, wow, what are we going to do? Listen, God's got this. And he's got the man of sin. He knows when he's going to reveal and he will not be revealed, unveiled until God says he will be unveiled. Now listen to this. Verse 7, for the mystery of of lawlessness is already at work. You know, what does that mean? Let me just put it this way. History is headed right by. Exactly what we're talking about. That's where we're headed, folks. History, listen, Satan and the kingdom of darkness is working towards that goal right now. It was in the day of Paul. It is right now. Satan and the kingdom of darkness is moving this world toward exactly what we're talking about. And it's not going to change course. Are you with me? Say amen. It's not going to change course. We are moving that direction. But don't forget, God's got this. Never forget that. God's got this. And he has someone here right now that is restrained. The devil can't do whatever he wants to do. Praise the name of Jesus, amen? He can't. Well, who is restraining him? The sovereign spirit of the living God. The sovereign spirit of the living God. But let me ask you a question. What means does he use to restrain? What does he use? It's called the church. It's called the bride of Christ. It's you. It's me who are followers of Christ. Think with me. Think with me. When the church is the light of the world as it is supposed to be, when the church is the salt of the earth as it's supposed to be, when we as believers are the light of the world we're supposed to be and the salt of the earth, then the Holy Spirit of God works mightily in us and through us and mightily in the church and through the church and it affects the community, it affects the culture, and it affects the country. Are you with me? Say amen. So when the church is weak, 
when the body of Christ is weak, when the believers are weak, because we think we can play around with scriptural apostasy. And therefore, even in our lives, there's spiritual apostasy going on, a falling away from the faith, a falling away from the truth. When we're weak in the word, when we're weak in our worship, when we're weak in our witness, when we're weak in our walk, in our work, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 is the fruit of that. So point your fingers wherever you want to point them. Just know when you do this, the rest of it is pointing right back at you. When we as a church start to complain about what is happening around us, just remember, remember that the Holy Spirit, the sovereign spirit of the living God is here to help us, but also to hinder Satan in the kingdom of darkness and his means of doing that are believers in Christ and the body of Christ. And when we're not faithful in all of these things and we're kind of playing around with this apostasy of Scripture and apostasy, spiritually in our lives, then what we see happening is exactly the result of it. Now, he goes on to say that verse 7 says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken away. When will that happen? We've already discussed it. It's called the rapture. That's when the church is taken away. It's when Christians, true Christians, not those playing the game, the true Christians are taken away. And so the means of restraining through the power of the Holy Spirit is removed. You know what's going to happen? Hell is going to have a holiday. That's exactly what's going to happen. We have to be so, so vigilant in our walk, in our worship, in our witness, in our work, and in the Word of God. It says in verse 8, I love this. This should give you praise. He says, uh, verse 8, then that lawless one will be revealed, that means be unveiled, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. This is uh, talked about by John, of course, in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. I'm just going to read particularly one verse that relates directly to what Paul says in this verse. Verse 15, Revelation 19, 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress 
of the fear wrath of God, the Almighty. What does it mean that he'll strike him down with his breath? Look, he's sovereign God. All he has to do is speak. And it's over. Sovereign God speaking sovereign truth. Folks, it's over. God's got this. God's got this. That's why we need to be on God's side. Do I have a witness on that? The Lord has this. All right, let me close. The request, the realities, the response. And what I'm going to share with you now, this is solemn. This is incredible truth. Listen carefully. I'm going to pick up with verse 9. I'm going to read through verse 12. That is, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because. Please listen. Please listen. Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Listen, he's talking here about those who have heard the truth. They've heard the gospel. They know there is a free pardon out there that comes by receiving Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. They know the free pardon has been presented to them. but they reject it. They reject it. So listen to what happens for this reason. God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. They're going to believe this false Christ They're going to believe the man of sin. This wicked one who in essence says the Satan incarnate and and they're going to believe that, that what he says about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is true, that he was a false Messiah. He was a false Christ. He's not truly the Savior and the Prince of the world, but I am the Prince of the world and I am even though he is Satan incarnate and they're going to believe it. Verse 12, in order that they will be judged who do not believe the truth but take pleasure or took pleasure in wickedness. We're talking about folks we know today. We love we care for them. They know the truth. They've heard it. 
They know the free pardon is out there, that they just need to receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and that free pardon uh, of, of the guilt of their sin forever and ever is theirs. But when the rapture occurs, strong delusion comes upon them, and they fully embrace the Antichrist. In other words, no hope. So I'm going to close with this word. There are two things that need to guide us as the body of Christ and as believers in Christ. Are you listening? Say amen. First is the message. I'm talking about the the full message, the gospel for sure, obviously. The only thing that's the power of God and salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Now I'm talking about the whole message. This whole word right here. Infallible, inerrant, inspired, authoritative word of God. The message and the mandate from the message. What's the mandate? to help as many people as possible discover and experience the life-changing grace, love, and power of God by receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's our two guides. Are you listening? Say amen. Message mandate. What does that mean? Tell you like I told the early service. That means everything else. Everything else is totally subordinate to the message and the mandate. Whatever preferences you have, and I have them. Whatever pet peeves you have, and I may have a few of those too. Totally, totally subordinate to the message and the mandate. And as long as we allow Satan to use those other things to keep stirring the pot around us, we are weak. And our light may be shining, but it's not shining light enough for people to see. And we may declare that we saw it, but we have lost our favor. God is going to bless only when we embrace with all of our heart the message and the mandate. And everything else is subordinate to that. Oh, Father God, so much more to say. But I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your servant, Paul, giving instructions to the church in Thessalonica. They need not be disturbed, but they must not be deceived. May we not be deceived. Lord, convict us. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we repent before you. 
as the body of Christ. We repent before you as believers in Christ. For being more concerned than the message and the mandate about things that ultimately have no value for your kingdom. Forgive us, Lord. Help us be the body of Christ that glorifies your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going to close with a song, okay? Let's stand. I want us to close with this song. It's called White Flag. This is this this is the message in song, okay?